Turn in your Bibles to uh, Ephesians chapter 3. Uh, we're going to be continuing in our series on church, church matters. And again, that's church matters, meaning that it's significant, but church matters also in that this is what we're talking about, uh, issues of the church, of the ecclesia, the gathering of believers. Um, and today we're looking at prayer, um, and it's surprising. We, I, again, I, I, I didn't put this in any sort of order. Um, I'm really just covering it hodgepodge, kind of. Uh, we could have done prayer much sooner than this, uh, but I wanted to come back and hit that the church is a praying people, that we are a praying people. So I want us to consider uh, the, today one of uh, the Apostle Paul's prayers um, for a model for us and as well as... Um, a method of prayer. So Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 14. You can jump down to verse 14 of Ephesians. And this is what God's Word says. These are the words of God. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge." that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all, than, all, than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. God, your word is astounding. It's astounding at what you say in your word. Lord, it is so surprising at times. It's surprisingly beautiful. And Lord, what, you, what we see even here today, I pray, Father, would not just come in one ear and right out the other, but Father, it would be something that we continually, as a praying people, come back to. That we would pray, Lord, like the apostle. That we would pray like him. That we would mirror his prayers in all of our situations. God, give us the strength we need right now. By your power to grasp your love for us. Do that in us, we pray. Help us to see that. We ask for your glory. God, in our joy in you, we pray. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me ask you a question as we just open up here. If God were to grant you everything that you prayed for this week, what would your life look like? What about our church family? What would, what would your life look like? Would the, would the church look different? Let me, let me even go for a little further. What about, what about our country? Would our country look any different? What about our family? Maybe a little more personal. How about how many, and I'm 
fearful that oftentimes in our prayer requests, and again, it's not even prayer requests as much as just even what we pray, are often so temporal that if God gave us all the things we prayed for, what we would get is a few people out of the hospital and a few people, they would just be so minimal. And what I want us to do is today, I want us to consider a text of Scripture to give us a model for prayer. And I know oftentimes when I listen to sermons on prayer, we can often just be, feel like we're being browbeat. It's like, ah, pray more. You ought to pray more. No, 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 no. I want you to see not only that you, it's not that you ought to pray more. It's that you can pray more. It's not only that you can pray more. It's that you're not the one who does it. I want you to see today from Scripture just one of the Apostle Paul's prayers to be a model, a method for us to pray. But one thing before we, before we get there, we need, to, we need to realize this, that a Christian, to be a Christian, means first and foremost that we have been changed to the core. When God changes a person's heart, He gives them new desires, new yearnings. And now, we need to be very clear. Every person, I've actually very rarely met a person, even an unbeliever, who says, oh, I don't pray. Very, very rarely. Unbelievers all the time pray. So prayer is not the evidence necessarily of a changed heart. But but what is the evidence of a changed heart at some level is what they pray, how they pray. Listen to Romans, Romans 8, 8, 14 through 16. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So to be a Christian is not, when you, when you hear me say, we ought to pray, don't hear me say, you have to pray. I'm saying that a Christian will pray. They'll pray that just what comes out of them. Just like a child, what comes out of a child is love and joy and happiness, play, playfulness. Prayer comes out of a Christian. So let me ask you, why, why do you feel, maybe why do you think that our prayers then are often so small, so temporary, so fleeting, so situational. Now, that's nothing. I want to be very clear. There is nothing wrong. It is actually right to pray for temporary situational things. My issue is how we pray for them. That we only ever pray. So, so one, way, one reason I would argue why we often pray so small is as Paul prayed, that he came to us in weakness and fear and much trembling, not even knowing how to pray for ourselves. It's not that we are wrong to pray for these things. It's that we often pray far, far, far too small. And what I mean by that is not some grandiose, well, you just need to start naming and claiming it. That's not what I'm saying. But I want you to see today, if you're taking notes, get this. It's at the top of your page. Small prayer focuses on situations. We could add to that circumstances, instances. You could add a bunch of different synonyms to that. Big prayer prays for God's power to reveal and grasp His love for us through Jesus Christ. 
Let me ask you this, as you think about this. If I were to say, oh, wow, that's, that's terribly small. Sometimes I do really well, and like, oh, I'm like, oh, that looks good. That looks awful. You can't read that. So if you don't have a paper in front of you, yeah, 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 that's very small font. If you can read that, let me know. That's really impressive, actually. So it should be in paper in front of you, but small prayer focuses on situations. Big prayer prays for God's power to reveal and grasp His love through us, through Jesus Christ. Let me ask you this. If I were even just to pray on a Sunday morning for revival in our church, what would it sound like? What, what should it sound like? God, give us revival. We, we want to be renewed. I would argue this is Paul's antidote for revival. He, it's, it's his answer for what does revival sound like being prayed for. This is it. Now notice, I want you to notice in verses 14, he, he's starting something, actually if you jump back to verse 1, that he's coming back to. So if you look back at verse 1 of chapter 3, he says, for this reason I, Paul, and then he's like, he's kind of like me, I suppose, sometimes he like forgets what he's saying, or he's like, oh, I have to add this in here before I tell you what I want to pray for. <laughs> so he says, for this reason I, Paul, and then he goes on to talk about this mystery of the gospel. And then verse 14, if you jump down to verse 14, then he picks back up what he's saying. For this reason, I bow my knees. Okay, so he's back to the reason why he wrote. But we need to understand that this big parenthetical thought. And it's simply this. It's the message of the gospel. It's the message of the gospel. Verses 1 through 13 are Paul's. He's glorying in the message of the gospel, which is the mystery revealed. Jump down to verse um, 6 with me. He says, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus, through the gospel. Now, we've got to remember something. Paul was a Jew, and for a Jew in ancient Israel, or even Paul's day, to say that anyone else other than the Jewish people could inherit the promises of God would be like, buku crazy. That, that's just insane. What are you talking about? The promises are only for ethnic Israel. And then he starts to realize this mystery is actually that it's not just ethnic Israel. It's for me and you too. See, we, we, we can often be so often so in the, in the church for so long that we sit as Gentiles and, 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 and just sit and simmer in the glories of the promises of God that we forget that this wasn't meant for us. That, that God actually told them in the Old Testament, He says this was a mystery hidden for ages, but now revealed that me and you can actually inherit God's promises. That me and you, and then He goes on, this, this is so profound for Him that it leads Him to pray. Listen to what He says then in verse 14. He picks up what He was originally going to say. For this reason, He's back at it now, I, Paul, I bow my knees before the Father. Now again, another very um, normal Western idea is bowing when we pray. But for a Jewish man, Jews didn't bow to pray. They stood to pray. When they wanted to pray, they stood up. We see this all throughout the Old Testament. We see it in, in the Psalms. We see it everywhere. Jewish men did not bow their knees to pray. They stood but there's a wonder that Paul's picking up here, and he picks up, the, and you know this verse, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess, 
and he's picking up an Old Testament idea. He's saying that I am so humbled under this reality that God has made himself known, not just to the Jewish people, but to the whole world. And me and you are actually able to be brought into his family. He is so humbled that all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And he says, I am so humbled. A man who used to persecute Christians, he says, I am so humbled that I have to bow my knee before the Father. He says, for this reason, I bow my knee before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. And again, this is not just, this is a, this is a we have to understand Pauline thought here. He was a Jew. The promises of God were not for everyone. But he says, now notice what he says again in verse 15. From whom every family in heaven and earth is named. He says, it's for all of them. It's for the whole nations. The promises of Abraham through the seed of Jesus, it's for all people. So I want you to see in this prayer the message of the gospel, the mystery revealed, once hidden, now revealed, is at the center of it. And I want you to see, so it's the, it's the message of the gospel. I want you to see now Paul's model and the method of prayer. He's modeling the method of prayer. This prayer, I will encourage you, if you, don't, if you don't come back to this prayer very often in Ephesians 3, to pray for your brothers and sisters, I'd encourage you to do so. He's modeling for us the method of prayer. Now notice what he says. So read it just again with me. Verse 14, he says, For this reason I bow my knee before the Father in humility, verse 15, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being. And he, he governs the idea, notice what he says, that it's according to the riches of his glory. And then here's his prayer for us. It's to be strengthened with power in our inner being. So he's modeling the method of prayer, and he gives two prayer requests. Here's the first. He's strengthened, it's strengthened with power in our inner being. Paul prays for these believers to be strengthened with power through his spirit in our inner being. Now, I want you to pick up, notice, notice in verse 16, there's, there's two things I want you to notice. That the power, first off, is not from us. The power in our inner being is actually God's Spirit in us. But I want you, and we'll come back to that, but I want you to notice this other word too. It's that last word in verse 16, that last phrase at least. In your inner being. And that phrase, in your inner being, represents the goal that Paul prays for. It's the place, the location that this is going to occur. So I want you to see, if you're taking notes there, this decaying yet renewed. Decaying yet renewed. And it's pers- I'm calling it personal communion. Now, I've said it before and I'll say it again. Christianity is personal, but it is not private. I'm going to say that one more time. Christianity is personal. It is not private. 
So when people say, oh yes, I don't, I don't really speak of Jesus because my, my faith is more of a private faith, then I want to say to them, you don't have faith, sir. Sir, you don't have faith. What you have is, I don't know what you have. I'm not sure what you have, but it's not Christianity because Christianity is personal. It's not private, though. But it's this idea of decaying yet renewed. Do something with me. I know you all have seen this. You've witnessed this. I want you to think about a person who's older in years. Maybe somebody, you go into a nursing home maybe even, and you, you walk in and their, their body's decaying. Life has become really hard for them. We would put it that their age is catching up to them. But when you talk to this person, what comes out? Joy and love. They can't even walk around. They're in a wheelchair. But when you talk to them, just, just abundant beauty flows out. Why is this? Or, or take the opposite of this. Same nursing home, same hallway probably even. You walk in, same person, or different person having same stage of life, same age, same hardships, but they've become bitter and, and crudgety. What's happening in these two people? Well, the first, I would argue, they are decaying, outwardly decaying, but inwardly they are being renewed day by day. And that other person, unfortunately, what ends up sometimes happening as we age is that what was in a person comes out of them, and it's really ugly. It doesn't mean they're not a Christian, but what it means is they need renewed in their inner being. Now, that same word for inner being is used also in 2 Corinthians. You don't have to turn there, but it's on the screen. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18, what, what we heard read this morning. He says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self, or the outer man, is wasting away, or decaying, being destroyed, spoiled, if you will, our inner self is being renewed day by day. And then he says, because this light, for this light momentary affliction is preparing us an eternal weight of glory, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And again, we think back to those two individuals. The first, you see their life is hard. In a wheelchair, can't even hardly hardly read their Bible on their own. But they are renewed. When you speak to them, their inner being, what comes out is joy and life. And the other person is crudgety. And I want to make a note of that, those two situations, because I think we see this a lot. All of us, even in our youth, are living a deathbed scene, okay? We're preparing to live a deathbed scene. Every great movie, there's, when, there's, when a main character dies, they have something called a deathbed scene. And the one person has been preparing for it their whole life. They've been preparing to die. And the other person hasn't. And then they start to realize life and all the, all the hardship begins to press in on them and what comes out is gross. But the other person has been renewed day by day, year by year. They still struggle. Of course they still struggle. But inwardly, they are being renewed. Now this comes, notice what he says again. Now jump back to verse 16. He says, Ephesians three sixteen, that according to the riches of his glory... He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit 
in your inner being. Notice that. This isn't you just saying, well, today I'm going to try really hard to be a good Christian. No. This is, notice what it says. He's strengthened with power through his spirit in our inner being. I'm fearful that when we pray for power as Christians, when I hear Christians pray for power at times, it sounds what they're praying for sounds very similar to what Jesus warns on the last day many will come to him and say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? If we're praying for power like that for us, I think we've missed it. I think we fundamentally missed it. Like Simon the magician who said, give me this power so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. He wanted power, but he wanted to use it for himself. He wanted to do it for entirely the wrong reason. He was trying to get God's power so that he may become great. And this is the temptation to all Christians. The Christian knows, though, That true power doesn't come in our name, it comes from God. So today, we're looking even at a prayer for God's power. And it's God's power of renewal through the Spirit. God's power of renewal through the Spirit. So we need to pray for God's power. Don't don't hear me say, oh, Daniel, we we shouldn't pray. Pastor, we we don't pray for power. No, we pray for power. We pray for the right kind of power. God, work in me. Give me the power I need to see your love for me. That's much different than, God, give me this gift so I can be great. No, 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 no. Think about it like this. Paul Tripp uses this example a lot. I think it's really helpful. Um, Some of you have have worked with fixer-upper homes before, uh, but when when a Christian becomes, put it like this, there's a guy that, that buys an old rickety house. It's a a fixer-upper for sure. When he buys the property, the property is completely his property. Everything. Every disgusting wall color, every strange linoleum floor that's in it, every hideous ceiling that's now caving in, every outlet that doesn't work anymore, they're all his. Every one of them. And it's very similar what happens when God buys us. He comes, he changes our heart, he gives us, he buys the deed to this one's mine. But that house that he buys is not a mansion. It is a fixer-upper. Horrendous floors, horrendous ceilings, and I'm still not sure why we ever thought linoleum looked good on hardwood. (laughs) But you get what I mean. Disgusting houses. And what happens is that God begins to go through the house of us and change us room by room. He not only buys us and says, that one's mine, he then goes through and says, yeah, you know what, that wall color, I don't know why we ever thought purple was a good idea. Why did, why did we do that? Let's paint that thing. That wall, that needs to come down. The, we need some windows here. We need some bay windows here. Notice what he goes on to say, verses 16 and 17. He says that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Don't miss the purpose. 
Here's why he's doing that. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That word for dwell is the same word that would be used for literally settling into a home. Picture, picture. I know Elias and Ella, one day, they want a home. Picture them going and moving into this fixer-upper. They go to dwell in it. But as they get in this home, it's not ideal. They need to continue to live in it. Yeah, you know that outlet that doesn't work? That, that we can't do that. We need a new outlet. That's similar to what God's project of work in us does. By His power, for His glory, He begins to change everything in us. And that old, disgusting fixer-upper begins to be transformed. Not in a day, not in a week, not in a month, not in a year. But one day, you come back and you look at it and you're like, that house is not what it used to be. Look at that house. We don't say, man, that house must be great. What we say is, man, somebody must be committed to that house. That's what we say. The goal of Paul's prayer is that Jesus would make his home within our hearts. Which leads Paul to his next prayer request. Notice what he goes on to say. So that Christ may dwell or take up habitation in our hearts through faith. Now here's the next prayer. Don't miss it. That you being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So the first prayer request was that we'd be strengthened with power in our inner being. The second is that we would grasp the love of God in the gospel. don't want you to miss it. Jump down to verse 19. He says, and to know the love of Christ. You know what he doesn't say there? He's not praying, hey, God, make them to love you more. That's a worthy prayer request. Nothing wrong with praying that. Lord, help them know you, love you more. Great. Nothing wrong with that. But notice what he prays for. He says, help them, all of us, grasp his love for us. Because he knows, he knows, Paul knows, that if we grasp his love for us, we'll love him. All these other things, everything vertically, everything horizontally will work itself out. That if we could understand his love for us in Jesus Christ, taking the wrath-bearing sacrifice in our place, we would be so humbled, and we would be so awestruck that all these other things would work themselves out. You know, I guarantee you, if I had to, if I had to guess, the Ephesians had issues. The Ephesian believers, they had people that were dying. They had people that were being persecuted. They had people that were being hurt. They had be- that we could name off the things, all the things you and I have issues with to pray for. Paul could have prayed for any one of them. But what's he pray for? God, help them know your love for them. And all those other things will work themselves out. Now notice the next piece he says. So it's to grasp the love of God in the gospel, but it's rooted like a tree, and it's firm like a foundation. It's rooted like a tree, and it's firm like a foundation. Notice what he says. If you jump down to um, verse 17, he says that you, being rooted 
and grounded in love, both those terms, the rooted is the same word that we would use for, for like tree roots. He's saying that you would be rooted and firm in love. And that firm is the same word that would be used for like a foundation of a house. It's to be firm and solid. His prayer is that we'd be firm like a foundation on the bedrock of love or like a tree rooted in the soil of love. I want to be very clear again. This is not our love for God. This is that we would be rooted and grounded in His love for us. One, one commentator, I loved it. He said, love is the soil in which believers are rooted and will grow. The foundation upon which they are built. Here's the thing. The plant of faith that God puts in us grows in the soil of love. Let me give you an example. My, my wife and I, um, when I think about trusting my wife, we don't try to trust one another more. And what I mean by that is we don't, the goal of our relationship is not, hey, let's try to do like trust falls with each other. The only way our trust for one another grows is that our love would grow. The only way I can trust that my wife's got my back is the fact that I know that she loves me. And the same is true of her, so that when we would get in a trust fall situation, she trusts me like no other. I trust her like no other. And it's not because we tried really hard to trust each other. It's because we know they love me. They have my best interest in mind. If we don't comprehend that God loves us, our trust of him will be limited. God's love in the gospel, Jesus' substitutionary, wrath-bearing sacrifice for sinners is the basis for this prayer that he prays. As one author says, he, he says, he is praying that our understanding will be able to penetrate one of the great mysteries. It's not that we understand God to be loving, nor that we understand there, there to be love that belongs to Christ. We need divine power to have a deeper understanding of the dimensions of the love of Christ. Which is, it, as it says here, he says that, that we may know the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. His prayer is that we would grasp with all the believers the love of Christ, which leads to that, that second piece there under this head, heading. It's to grasp with the saints. It's to grasp with the saints. And it's public comprehension. So we have a Christianity that is personal in that we personally commune with God, but we can't have it on our own. There is no such thing as Lone Ranger Christians. There's no such thing as Christians that just never are a part of a body. They just live out on their own. They, just, they, they, they commune with God and whatnot. No, no, no. He says we need one another to grasp the depths of God's love. John Stott, he said, we need a whole people of God to understand the whole love of God. You know why that is? Have you ever thought about that? Why we need one another. Look around for a second, actually. This is kind of like a weird exercise. It'll make us feel really awkward for a second. Look around at one another. 
Have you ever wondered why we need each other? Why God said, hey, hey, go be a part of a body of Christians, gather, meet together, hear the preaching of the word. People say to me all the time, and they should, don't, don't stop saying this, it's okay. Pastor, pray for me in this relationship, there's deep conflict. And you know what I pray for them? Anytime I hear about conflict, let them comprehend the love you have for them in the gospel. Let them know. Think about that. There's two people fighting. There's two people bickering, disagreeing, which will happen, by the way, in the church. It better happen or we're not doing life together. <laughs> Let them comprehend the love of God in the gospel. Then they'll reconcile. Let them know how much of a sinner they are and how much they've been forgiven. Then they'll forgive each other. Or do this. Let me show you how, how different the church, the church is than the rest of the world. You go try to buy lunch for somebody this week who's not a part of this church, and you'll see what they say. They'll say something to the effect of, no, 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 I, I don't want you to buy lunch for me. I don't need it. I'll, I feel like I have to pay you back. And the church, when we look at one another, what we're saying is we are a community that fundamentally needs one another. And that is a deeply, deeply, deeply humbling thing. People can't even buy, you can't even buy lunch for somebody without them feeling like they need to pay you back. Comprehending the love of God for sinners requires young and old, every member of the family of God working together. Listen to just several other places we could look at. Romans 15, 13, he says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that the power of the Holy Spirit may abound in you in hope. The same, the same ideas. God is the one who imparts this in us, but he uses the community of faith to do it. Now, notice what he says again in verse 18. Jump down to verse 18. He says, um, jump back to verse 17, I guess, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth of, and the length, and the height, and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. What about the breadth? When we think about the breadth, we look around at a community, at your church, at your faith family. You ought to look around and think, you know, there's no other reason we would all be together. Have you ever thought that? There is no reason, there's no earthly reason all of us would be here together. Every race, every culture, every diversity, he says it's the breath, every, the breath or the length that began before the foundations of the world that will lead on into eternity or the height that goes beyond knowledge or the depth that leaves us breathless without words. This is the kind of love that we show one another, and this is the kind of love that we need one another to experience the love of God, which is, why, which is what leads him to say, notice what he says in verse 19, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And so this last piece is the filled with all the fullness of God. And I want you to notice that the fullness of God is Jesus Christ. 
And that is what's extended to us in verse 17, is so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Or as Paul says in Colossians, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And his prayer is that we would be filled with this fullness. That we would know this fullness so much that we would know the love of God for us in the gospel. The fullness of God seen in Jesus Christ. Which leads him to say in verse 20, jump down to verse 20. Which he ends with this magnification. So it's the message of the gospel, it's the method, or it's the modeling of the method of prayer, and it ends with magnification, prayer and doxology. Notice what he says in verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or seek according to the power at work within us, To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. So His magnification is simply that God would do far more abundantly than all we could ask or think. And I want us to see two elements here. That we first are dependent on the power of God in us. You know, all Christians have struggled or struggle at some point that they don't feel needy or they don't want to feel needy. But all Christians, at the very core of what it means to be a Christian, means that I'm needy. Means that I am in need of someone greater, which is Jesus, and one another, to care for me. Now notice what he says again in verse 20. He says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly. Now that word, far more abundantly, it's worth pointing out. Paul actually makes it up. This is the only place it's used in the whole Bible. He says, now to him who is able to do, and you could insert there, super abundantly. Super abundantly. He makes it up. It's literally quite beyond all measure. And it's the highest form of comparison. He says, now to him who's able to do far more than you could ask or think, he will do it according to the power at work within us. Now notice the last element, which is verse 21. And it's to him. It's the aim. So it's our aim in prayer is the glory of God. Our aim in prayer is God's glory But I want you to see the connection in verse 20 and verse 21 between God's glory and our joy in Him. He promises again in verse 20, now to Him who's able to do super abundantly than all we could ask or think, to Him be glory in the church. You know, when we pray for one another and we pray, God, make them know your love for them, what we're praying for is we're praying for revival. We're praying for God to pour out His Spirit by the power of His Spirit for His glory and that me and you would find our greatest joy in Him. You know that phrase, superabundant? It's limitless at some level. It's limitless because when we find that our greatest glory is in God 
our greatest joy is in him, then he gets the most glory. So I want to end with this. I just want to end with what, what we mentioned at the very beginning. That small prayer focuses on situations. Big prayer prays for God's power to reveal and grasp his love for us through Jesus Christ. And I just want to encourage you. I feel like, like I said, most of the time when I hear messages on prayer or I preach messages on prayer, I feel like I'm just standing up here and just saying, pray more. Pray more. Do better. Try harder. I want to remind you that it's Him who's far more abundant than all we ask or all we think according to the power at work within us. Brothers and sisters, it's not mine and yours ability to pray for one another. It's His ability to work within us. And as we live out, as we model, as we act according to what He's modeled here, as we start praying for one another, Father, make them know your love for them. So the next time you see one of your brothers and sisters struggling, this is what it could sound like. Someone's going through a rough time. Someone maybe has lost a loved one. Someone maybe is struggling at work. Rather than getting so wrapped around the axle of the thing that's happening, what if it sounded like this? I know they're in a hard situation, Lord. Help them grasp your love for them. Help them grasp your love for them. They're in a conflict. Father, help them grasp your love for them. And you know what that does? That takes the ball out of your court and it puts it into God's. (laughs) And it says, all the power is yours. Now do super abundantly more than all I could ask or think according to the power at work within us. May our prayers reflect this. May we grow in, in our love for one another, but may we grow in our, in our hungering to pray for one another according to this. Can I pray for us toward that direction? Let's do that together. Father, I feel like this passage of Scripture is just so rich and so full that, Lord, all I can say is, You're the one who has the power to do it. So strengthen us to grasp your love for us in the gospel. God, we're asking for something we can't accomplish on our own. We're asking independence, utter dependence upon you. Lord, do this in our brothers and sisters. Grant them the power, grant them the strength to comprehend your power at work within them. Help us in this, we pray. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.